This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I am Christy Landwehr in Aurora, Colorado. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on Horse Radio Network for this Tuesday, September 15th, 2020, episode 2519. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, horse world. Houston, we have a problem. Ability equals skill plus knowledge. I got a bad feeling about this. Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Missed it by that much. How can I change this to make it better the next time? Well, do I can. Yeah. Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us, and welcome back. Of course, this is the CHA Day. As we said, it's the third Tuesday of every month that Christy stops by. Christy? Hi, Glenn. It's so good to be here. You know what cracks me up, though, about only doing a show once a month is I realize how fast time goes. I know. Blink. Oh, my gosh. It's been 30 days. I know. <laughs> It's September Crazy. already. It's gonna. We're gonna be changing our clocks soon. So I, oh. you know, I saw a meme today that uh, I I don't want to change our clocks and put it back an hour because who wants to gain an hour in twenty twenty? That's like I, ah, that's funny. <laughs> that could be a meme. Who that's wants funny. an extra hour in twenty twenty? Like, <laughs> we don't need <laughs> that. <laughs> so uh, thank you everybody for joining us. What do we got coming up on today's show? Oh, we're so excited today. We've got uh, Joanne Young. She's going to come on and talk to us about the half pass. So that's the leg yield, but with the other bend. And it's kind of a pretty big deal. And with the Western dressage world booming and with just regular, anybody should know how to do leg yield and half pass. So that lateral movement will be discussed in detail. And then we're going to learn more about positive reinforcement training. And I know you have Shauna Karish on with her own show there with you guys on Horse Radio Network. But we're so excited to have her on our show today. And today's being sponsored by Time to Ride. So Molly O'Brien is going to stop by and give us a little bit more information on that program and how all listeners can get involved. Sounds good. Now, I know that uh, you're kind of homebound still. You haven't been out traveling 50 weeks a year like you usually do to conferences, but uh, I'm assuming you have some virtual ones you've been hanging out at. You know what? I do. And I'll be honest with you, I never thought I'd say this, but they're actually kind of fun. So the Purina one, it's it's great. They're they're um, giving us a tour of their farm virtually, which is of course near St. Louis in Missouri, and you can do a virtual photo booth where you go on there and pick a photo of yourself. I did it with my horse, and then you can have all these different backgrounds, like with their Clydesdales, or you can have um, in the background with their farm. Or that's been I've hmm. never seen virtual photo booth. I've enjoyed that. And then the Right Horse Summit is also going on this same week, and they were just um, acquired by the ASPCA. And the Right Horse, for those that don't know, they're trying to kind of unite rescues and sanctuaries and rehoming centers around the country to try to um, 
make adoption something that people want to do, that they think, huh, before I just go out and try to get on Craigslist, Facebook, or go to my breeder or trainer or network, maybe I should also look at some horses that are in transition. So that's been a really fun virtual conference to be a part of as well this week. Now, the right horse people, are they the people that kind of rate the rescues too? Yeah, the... Yeah, they um they actually have kind of a partnership program where depending on if you meet a certain standard, you can be a partner of theirs. And we're partners with them because we do a lot of site accreditation of the rescues. And we also um, help facilitate all their staff being certified through our equine facility manager program. So that's how we're involved. And then we also try to rehome horses to our instructors around the country that might have an interest. Ah, got it. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, and of course, Purina, you mentioned Purina. I'd love to do a show from their farm someday out there. I, I Well, first of yes. all, they have great barbecue in that town. And that's one thing, reason I want to go there. But also would love to do a show from their farm. I think that'd be fun. I told Megan, who is the one, Megan Bryan actually works here in Colorado for Purina, and I see her all the time at all the different expos. And I said, Megan, when you actually get to have the tour in person, if I go virtual, can I not go in person? She goes, no, you could do both. I go, that's great, because I want to see it so <laughs> I do too. Bad. I do, too. Oh. You know, I love draft horses, so that's the other re- reason. They yes. have all kinds of horses there. Um, and then I want to get to the Budweiser facility, too. I want to do that. Uh, I want to do both. So uh, one of these days, we'll get out there and do both of those. Uh, and, of course, Purina has a show. It's an award-winning show here on the Horse Radio Network called uh, the Horse Nutrition Podcast that Lisa Wysock hosts. Now, you did some camping, and uh, uh, was it out in Colorado? Some horse it was. Camping? It was about a two-hour drive from us, and it was horse camping and ATV, off-road vehicle camping. But I'll tell you, the off-road vehicles were five miles away from the horse camping, so oh, they were not side-by-side, nice. side, yeah. which is good. And it's amazing. So Mueller State Park, for those that don't know, it's by Colorado Springs, Woodland Park, a little town called Divide. You're going to go up about 4,000 feet in elevation. So be prepared for that for both you and your horses. But they have 134 campsites. So when we first drove in and we saw everything is full, because, of course, it was Labor Day, right? Mm. We're thinking, uh, no. Well, all the 132 people are on one side, and the two little spots for horse camping are two miles away on the other side of the mountain. (laughs) Did you have reservations, or did you just show up? Oh, no, you have to have reservations. We had to make them. We were warned. We made our reservations in February. So you guys are completely secluded? It we're all by ourselves. We literally saw the the ranger. Yeah. No, we didn't see any bears. We Uh saw um, deer. And oh my gosh, we had this gray jay. And there's a reason why they call them camp robbers. He got so brave. I have video of him landing on my bird. Uh huh. A little gray jay bird, like a blue jay except gray. Okay. And it landed on my son's arm and ate food out of his hand. They're not domesticated, are they? <laughs> oh, it's hilarious to be these gray jays. So they would come and they would like stick their whole head in a box of crackers, steal a cracker and fly away. You're like, what are you doing? <laughs> I remember those from, from visiting the park in Colorado. I oh, remember we them. just giggled and giggled. Yeah, yeah very fun. They're very but, oh my aggressive gosh, the little trails. birds. <laughs> and what's nice about the trails is I'm, I'm barefoot on my horses. So I only had to put um, boots on the front to be able to go around and because the rocks were minimal, wonderfully groomed trails. And guess what? The mountain bikers aren't allowed to go on the trails either. So the only people we ever came up against was the occasional hiker. Very oh, calm. Wow. So it's just horses and hikers? Oh, yeah. Is it part it. of the Colorado Trail, the part you were on? It's not part of the Colorado okay. Trail, no, but it is um, a state park. So, and it's, uh, I think, 4,800 acres, they said, or oh, something. Oh, well, you can ride for a while. 
Yeah. yeah. So it's it's big. <laughs> it's big. And my uh, friend had an app on her phone so we would know how much we had trotted, cantered, walked, how many miles we had gone, our elevation, gain and descent. I mean, it was like an intense app. I was laughing. Should she come back and debrief us after every trail ride? <laughs> when you, if... if... If you listening out there have not been to Colorado, have not been to the mountains, you've got to do it at some point. It's just the most beautiful place. Every place is a, is a picture. It's all just great. <laughs> and hiking there was so much fun in the park. That's cool. Very good. Yeah. You had no moose run up on you then? or No, no, no moose. Nothing no, scary. Nothing no, scary. all really chill and calm, which is just the way I like it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have any uh, raiders come in at night. And it's nice you were far enough away from the campers with all the screaming little kids. You, you didn't have to oh, put Oh, we didn't hear anything. And I asked the camp. The, the park ranger, I go, why is this? And they go, well, the people on the other side of the mountain don't like the way the horse people smell and all your manure and all your flies. And I said, well, that's great. We don't like the way they smell either. So this is perfect. <laughs> that's funny. Now, do you have a camper or do you tent when you go? No, I tent. Um, my husband has a big blow-up mattress. And we just stick it in there. We just attach two sleepy bags together. That's how we roll. But then we did have two friends since there's only two hookups. And they both came in and they brought campers. Now, but the, the BLM had come and the Backcountry Horsemen had come and they had actually created a barn there. So when you horse camp, you don't you put bring panels or anything. Yeah. There was a barn. There was runs. It was fancy. Oh, so you didn't have to high tie or do any of that? No, nothing. No. Fancy. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, let's get to our first guest. Uh, And am I using the first number on there? Yes. The first one would be great. I got it. Uh, So why don't you introduce her while I get... I sure will. So this is Molly O'Brien. And Molly O'Brien runs right now the Time to Ride program. She grew up as a typical horse-crazy kid. And like so many of us, she never outgrew the craze. Her professional background includes experience with two breed associations as well as for-profit equine companies. And she's been the Time to Ride program manager since April of 2008. Time to Ride is under the American Horse Council. And we're very excited to have her on today. Yeah, they started that. I remember when they said, we were doing the show. I think we had them on the first year they did it. I think so. Yeah, I think she's here. Hi, Molly. Yes, good morning. How are you? Hi, Molly. How are you? I'm good. Good to have you on today. We're excited. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for the opportunity to join you. So let everyone know today, Molly, where are you? Um, where are we calling you from? Where Where are you today? I am in Western Massachusetts. Nice. About 100 miles, yeah, 100 miles uh, west of Boston, so a very different part of the world. Everybody thinks Boston when they hear Massachusetts, and it's uh, this is nice and rural, and I'm 20 miles south of the Vermont border, so, and it's chilly this morning. <laughs> Have your leaves started to change yet? Just very mildly. Um, we usually peak foliage, have peak foliage here in mid-October. So it's That's the change so just started. Yeah, uh, it is gorgeous. Love it back east for your leaf changes. You know, we have the aspen mm-hmm. here that change, which are nice. And yeah. but overall, we just don't have fall colors. I don't feel like the east does. So you, yeah, I lived in Denver for a few years, and yeah, it's not. It's beautiful. The aspen are beautiful, but it's not just not quite the same. Yes, I completely agree. So, all right, Molly, let's just jump right in. For those that don't know, um, I know we've had you on the show before and we've um, talked about Time to Ride a little bit, but it's been a while and I know Time to Ride's had a few makeovers. So go ahead and give us the latest update on what Time to Ride is and how it all began and why it even exists. Sure. Well, Time to Ride, and for those who aren't familiar with it at all, 
Um, Time to Ride was started in roughly 2012. A group of industry leaders got together, realized that the horse industry needed support, um, and that the best approach was for everybody to join forces. Um, Think of the Go RVing campaign, where the RV uh, camper manufacturers got together and promoted uh, camping and camping with RVs as a lifestyle and didn't worry about which manufacturer was named. It was just promoting the lifestyle. That's similar to the concept behind Time to Ride. So the initial program, very initial program, was called Seats and Set in the Saddles, and that was uh, basically that picked out, and this is what I glean from the history I see as well, um, several horse shows and livestock events that included horses were selected Local farms were invited to bring lesson horses to those events. The events were promoted to the general public as an opportunity to meet a horse, uh, have a pony ride, if you will. Um, But logistically, my understanding is that was very complicated and and expensive. So from 2014 to 2018, uh, the Time to Ride Challenge was the key program. And that consisted of barns competing against each other there in the challenge uh, to see who could attract the most newcomers to their farm. So they would hold an event or events and register all of the newcomers. Um, and the whole goal there was to introduce non-horse people to horses. And that was hugely successful, introduced over, I believe it's over 132,000 people to horses. I came on board with Time to Ride in April of 2018, and and so we continued the challenge for that year, but there was some concern from the Marketing Alliance. The Marketing Alliance is a committee, if you will, of the American Horse Council, and this program is under the umbrella of the American Horse Council, and there was concern about the lack of stickiness, to use a marketing term, with just a one-time introduction. So... With lots of back and forth with the Marketing Alliance um, and you, Christy, and some other uh, people in the industry, um, we developed a program that was geared toward, <clears throat> very specifically geared toward getting kids to farms and giving them a more in-depth introduction to horses. The concept is basically modeled on uh, the golf industry's The First Tee Program, where they work with schools and youth groups to offer a series of golf lessons to kids. They partner with um, local golf courses and golf pros to, to provide golf lessons to kids. And it's not a one lesson. It's a, they sign up for a series of lessons. So that's where we went with Time to Ride. And we established some pretty high standards for this. Um, and again, a lot of this based on CHA standards, um, Pony Club was also a key component in developing the standards. And in 2019, last year, we ran a pilot program, hugely successful. We were looking for 15 to 20 barns to participate and ended up with 62 facilities participating with the program. Big difference. Now, that's awesome. That, yeah, it was incredible. Um, so... Based on that, in December of last year, the Marketing Alliance 
agreed to go ahead and, and run the program again this year, see if we could get some growth in it. Uh, the goal was to be up to 125 facilities. And then the pandemic hit. <laughs> <laughs> so, which, you know, obviously it, it had an impact anywhere and everywhere you look. But you think of lesson programs, so many barns had to just shut down. Um, couldn't have anybody in the barns for weeks or months, depending on what part of the country you're in. Um, so obviously that, that put a, a crimp in the Time to Ride program and getting barns to participate. As we started to uh, loosen up across the country, if you will, you know, we became aware of the masks and social distancing and so forth and, and more of those um, ways to help us go back out in public became more known. We looked at, as the American Horse Council, as the Marketing Alliance, as Time to Ride, looked at, you know, gee, these lesson barns have taken such a hit. What can we do to help them start to rebuild their businesses? So the decision was to create other tiers, if you will, for Time to Ride participants. So we held the first set of requirements, which are, again, there, there are barn and property requirements um, that are pr- set a pretty high bar. Um, there are instructor qualifications that also set a high bar, including a safe sports certification and a criminal background check. And the lesson program itself, we're asking for an initial set of um, an eight-week block of lessons. And with that, we're also asking that the kids be given hands-on time with horses, not just the up-down lesson, but also starting to learn how to groom a horse and parts of the horse and saddle and bridle, et cetera. So we held all of those requirements and named it the gold level. Then to increase the accessibility for instructors across the country, we developed a silver level and a bronze level. The silver level is closer to the gold level in its requirements for the barn and property um, and for the uh, instructor qualifications. What doesn't happen is the safe sport training and the uh, criminal background check just removed those hurdles, if you will, um, and dropped it down to a four-week block of lessons and asking, again, that the kids be given hands-on time with horses or some other learning besides just being on a horse. And But for that, we asked for, for the silver level. We dropped it down to a four-week block. And in addition, for all of these levels, um, during this pandemic time that we're in, that hands-on learning can be substituted with you know online materials that you make available to these kids or even printed materials that you make available to these kids so that they can still be learning about horses um, beyond just being in the saddle. And on the bronze level, um, it's really pretty simplified. The instructor qualifications are that anyone teaching mounted lessons must be a current member of one or more national equine breed or discipline organizations or a member of a national organization that certifies or licenses riding instructors. So there, there you are, CHA members in particular. Um, we do verify membership status for all of the levels. 
And that's as simple as um, send me a picture of your membership card. If you've got an electronic version, great. If not, you know, take a picture of it and send it. For everybody, for all of the uh, levels, we require um, general liability insurance. And we ask that Time to Ride be provided with a certificate of insurance with the American Horse Council named as an additional insured. And we also ask to see a copy of your liability waiver and release. So that's across all levels. But at the bronze level, that's th- those are the basics. So again, the goal being make this more accessible to different levels of instructors across the country to help the horse business, lesson instructors in particular, but also the horse business in general, start to recover financially. So it's going to be a long haul. But we wanted to do what we could from the perspective of this program to help with that recovery. Well, Molly, I think that's there. a great idea <laughs> because you take away some of the barriers, right, of entry yes. and then in yes. time still teach about, but it's also still a really good idea to one day get safe sport. It's also still a really good idea to one day get a background check. But as of right now, let's just go ahead and let the the people that are teaching 4-H, the people that are teaching the Girl Scout badge programs, right? The people that are um, doing the, Correct. you know, all those kinds of things, be able to still have an opportunity if they don't have kind of an in-depth enough program to go down and do some of the other steps. So I think it's a really smart idea. And why do you think right now um, is a good time to attract new lesson riders? I know there's big changes going on. Like you, you had mentioned Arvine. Well, you can't mm-hmm. even keep campers on the shelves right now. I mean, RVs are just, they're making an all-time high. And I know Glenn was thinking about buying a camper. And Glenn, now might not be the time. I, I know, it's tough. At all-time it's high. tough, actually. It is oh, tough no, right no. now. And did anybody yeah, yeah. think that big-ticket items like that six months ago would be the hot thing? No. Isn't everybody thought wild? the economy was going to go through the floor and nobody was going to buy anything. Wild. Did, did we all think that the, the number of horses being adopted by adoption agencies was going to be at record highs, double and triple? Correct. I mean, it's just crazy. It's yeah, wild the it, things it, that have become popular and the things that are. And I think if our, and I hope, Molly, this is what you feel too, and if I'm taking the words out of your mouth, I apologize. You, you can make them sound better. But, you know, with sports right now, kind of a lot, some of them being on hold, what a great way to get more time in the saddle for people and parents to be able to embrace horseback riding. Do you feel like your time to ride people have felt the same way? Absolutely. And what we're seeing across the country, and this is anecdotal, but an increased demand for riding lessons. And what's happening is the the parents are looking for things for their kids to do. A lot of their traditional sports activities. Get them the hell out of the house. (laughs) Correct. Yes, please. Yes, Yes, please. (laughs) I'm right there. Exactly what it is. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I have a horse of my own here locally um, that I board at a pony club center. And she's, uh, the owner is overwhelmed right now with, you know, the number of new people wanting lessons. So yes, it is that parents are looking for something for their kids to do to get them out of the house, get them some physical exercise. And also um, horseback riding very naturally allows for social distancing. So when you're on a horse, chances are you're six feet away from somebody. We do ask that um, any lesson facility follow their local or state requirements, um, you know, regarding social distancing and face masks, et cetera. So we don't, we have no requirements ourselves. It's just that you follow your state mandates 
Um, but yeah, it's a wonderful time. Yeah. And, and for and anyone started, listening, um, how do they find out more about Time to Ride? What are all your different, are you on social media, website? How is the best way? Yep. We have a Facebook page, but the best way is to look at our website, which is timetoride.org. And that's Very good. Pretty, yep. Pretty simple name. And my contact info is on there. Uh, you can email me at it's TTR, as in Time to Ride, TTR at horsecouncil.org. So... So for anyone listening, this this helps not only the Lesson Barn owner and the instructors out there to drive more traffic to you, but also for those of you that are looking for a qualified place to go and take riding lessons. Of course, you can always go to CHA.horse. I would be remiss if I didn't say that. But Time to Ride has also wonderful um, people and a lot of our CHA members, you're going to see a lot of crossover, are, are part of Time to Ride yeah. too. And that's just a great way. Don't Google horseback riding instructor near you, please don't do that. No, um, no, that please. that gives you just kind of anybody that's paid a lot of money to Google to be up front. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be the safest and the most effective for either your children, your grandchildren, or yourself to ride. So I just really appreciate time to ride, Molly. And is there any kind of closing comments that you'd like to end with today for everyone listening? Just um, a couple of thoughts. One is um, the benefit to somebody who does sign up for Time to Ride as, a, as an instructor or barn, um, we provide marketing materials that help you reach out to your local community. So we give you that support, and there is no charge for any of this. This program is completely free to the participants. You charge what you want to charge for lessons. The other thing is, yes, we have a great opportunity ahead of us right now. There's, there's nothing good about the pandemic that we're living through, but it has provided horseback riding with a unique opportunity to get more kids involved right now. So I hope everybody will take advantage of that. I agree. Thank you, Molly, so much for being on today. We really appreciate you. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you again for having me. And everybody, it's timetoride.org, or you can also find them on Facebook. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. It's a good program, Glenn. Um, it's, we've been a part of it now since its inception. And they also, American Horse Council, speaking of virtual conferences, they're going to have a virtual conference in October, right before our virtual conference that's going on at the end of the month. And there's going to be a time to ride meeting that's actually open to the public. And I wanted to go ahead and let everyone know about that, too, because that's unusual. They normally don't um, have it open to the public. They just have it available to the marketing people that are funding the program. But it is available for everybody, part of it, to come on and pay attention to it. So if you just get on American Horse Council's website, um, you can see where there's actually a lot of different things that people can do for free on the different committees that they have, like on um, horse welfare and uh, other types of committees. So get on there and you can find the time to ride one and anyone can join and find out even more about the program and ask questions. And you guys, let's talk a little bit about your conference before we get to the next guest here. And you, I mean, this is a unique opportunity for people to attend your conference virtually for a price, one they have never had the opportunity to do before. And you don't have to travel. You don't have to spend $1,000 in travel. It's it, That is true. This year might be the opportunity of a lifetime to attend a CHA conference and all the learning that goes along with that, because it's not just high-level stuff. This is actual learning. Uh, about horses and with horses. And so tell us when that is, and, and you have a special offer for our listeners, too. 
We do. So it's going to be on Friday, October the 30th. And even if you can't make it that day, or let's say you can only make it half day, we will send you the recording that you can hear at any time, or you can purchase the recording before or after, and it'll it'll be available to you. But it's going to be eight hours, and it's going to include some of our friends like Julie Goodnight, Shauna Karish, who's coming on today, Joanne Young, who's coming on today. And half of it will be PowerPoint presentations on nutrition and veterinarian care, things like that. And the other half is going to be videos that people have produced ahead of time that then you're going to get to see the horses and riders and hear the um, person talk to you, the instructor, about what's going on. And then they're going to be on live to answer your questions. So we'll stop the video. You can ask your question. We'll also field questions at the end of the video. So we should, should be very interactive. And because we're doing it virtually, we don't have to feed you. We don't have to house you. You don't have to fly. So it makes our costs a whole lot less. So because of that, we can actually offer it to all um, HRN listeners. Just put in the priority code on our website. Go to CHA.horse. Put in the priority code of HRN when you sign up for the event. And it's only $95 for that whole day of education, which, again, you don't have to be on live. You can listen to it anytime. Again, you know, normally you'd spend twelve, thirteen hundred dollars total between the tickets to the conference and flying and hotels and all of that stuff. And for ninety-five bucks, for less than a hundred bucks, you can do it this year. So take advantage of it. It's it's something that doesn't. Well, it's never come along before. So this is the yes, that's true. And our non-member rate is one fifty-five. So you are saving sixty dollars with that HRN code. And there is no definite time to do it by. I mean, it'd be nice if you do it. You know, not the day of. <laughs> Might be a little challenging to get the link to you. So it'd be good if you decided a couple days ahead of time, but you certainly have time to think about it. Go on our website, check out all the speaker bios and see if you're And it's only one day. It's not like you're also committing to four or five days. They're, they keep having these podcasting conferences online. It's, it's like four or five days and who has time for that? <laughs> it's like, yes, it's yeah. hard. We're trying to work, right? And when yeah. you're at home, you still feel like you've got to work. It's not like when you actually go somewhere and you commit to the four or five days. Right. Yeah, but We decided just the one day to be interactive, but by all means, if you can't be interactive, all day we completely understand and we'll send you the link to listen because to it later. you're one of the cool kids that's a listener you get it at the discount for less than 100 bucks <laughs> all do. right speaking of conferences uh joanne young is going to be speaking there why don't you introduce her and i will give her a call absolutely so joanne young has been studying horses and how to kindly and effectively communicate with them her whole life she finds great joy in guiding riders along the path to successful partnership with horses she is located in houghton new york where she has worked as a professor and riding instructor at Houghton College for many years. She's also a CHA certifier for us and a regional director. She also has been a part of us, oh, I think a really long time. I think she's a lifetime member. So we enjoy Joanne very much, and she's very highly educated in the field of dressage. So we're going to be talking with her today about half-pass. Yeah, I know she's been on before a couple times, right? Yes. Yeah. I remember Houghton. It's a name you remember. Yes, it kind of sticks out. We had our conference there a yes, couple years ago. That's right. Really, really good. I remember yeah. us talking about that. Hello? Hi, Joanne. It's Glenn and Christy. Uh, good. I was hoping that's who it was because it was an unidentified number. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I'm here I, we are. I so spend my life today? unidentified. Uh, that's, that's, uh, I like. <laughs> he likes well, being in Maryland. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for so, joining Joanne, us again. We're so glad to have you on. Well, thank you. You've been on a couple I'm times. I'm sure before. we will have a good time. I have. So and have enjoyed exactly the conversations York, every time. Tell us exactly where in New York you're located um, for people to know where Houghton is and how it's all going there. 
Alrighty, we are in the Genesee River Valley, 60 miles from Rochester and 60 miles from Buffalo and 25 miles north of the Pennsylvania border. So you have a lot of Amish there. Yes, we do. Uh, there are a lot of Amish farmers. There are a lot of um, Amish harness maker shops around in not too far a distance. Um, and they make very lovely neighbors. And you don't have to worry about buying crappy halters. You get really good halters when you live in Amish country and tack. And yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And good repairs done to the expensive tack that we already own. That's right. I, I lived in Lancaster County, and that was one of the benefits. As, as uh, every two miles, there was a leather maker that would repair stuff for you. <laughs> it's good. Plus the produce. Let's yes. not forget that. Uh, really good produce. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you. Living out west, where we don't have a whole lot of that go, Amish and those kinds of things going on, when I went out there for our conference, Joanne, that you held for CHA, and oh my gosh, the Amish people were driving, and they're in their wonderful harness and rigs, and it was just so much fun to see them on the roads as we were driving around. It was it was quite the experience. Loved it. Yes, they are wonderful people with wonderful skills, so it is a blessing to have them for neighbors. Yes. Joanne, we're losing you a little bit. Don't walk around. <laughs> you were perfect at okay. the beginning of the call, and then we started losing you. I'll go outside. I've just finished teaching a student um, with her own horse. So I was in the indoor, and somebody else was coming in to ride. So I thought to cut background noise, I'd get out of the way. Ah, there we go. All right, good. Is that better now? Yeah, that's better. Thank yes. you. Okay. Sound really good. No so problem. Give everyone a little bit of your background in dressage, and then we're going to jump right in to um, talking a little bit about the half pass and when to do it and how to do it and what that means. Because it's a pretty high level um, maneuver that I don't think a lot of people have done before. So we're probably going to have to get into some in depth conversation about it. So, what is your background in dressage and why do you believe in it so much? Okay. Well, from the get-go, I always was trying to figure out how a horse's body worked and how I could influence it the best so I could help instead of hinder their ability to perform well. And when I was 38 years old, I met my first dressage instructor, and that's what she was teaching was what I had been working on figuring out on my own. Um, and each stage of the game, as I had learned pretty much everything that a particular instructor could teach, God sent into my life the person that had the next level until I met Walter Zettel. And I had the great privilege of studying with him for 25 years. Um, Walter's books are still uh, published. They're available from, um, shoot, can't think of the name, but it's the folks that are in Vermont that publish a lot of horse books. Trafalgar Square. Trafalgar, yes. And he, yes, and he also did a set of five DVDs, A Matter of Trust, which is um, show, starts out with showing horse nature when they're loose out in the pasture or in the wild together in a herd setting, how they react to things, how their bodies work, and it goes from there, bare bones beginning up through the levels to Grand Prix. And during the years that I worked with Walter, I had the privilege of under his guidance training my own horse and five of the lesson horses to be able to do all of the Grand Prix maneuvers to make them into schoolmasters for the students. And I have had the privilege, Glenn, of having a riding lesson or two with Joanne and 
it is not a riding lesson. It is a coaching session. It's talking about moving your right hip bone two degrees forward or stuff like this. I mean, it's such nuances of biomechanics that Joanne teaches. And I just wish that I had had the opportunity to also ride with Walter. But I'm so glad that you have embraced all of your teachers that you've had over the years. And now you've created, you know, your own way of explaining it to students. And it's just lovely. So if you're ever in Houghton, New York, look up Joanne because, oh, my goodness, can she teach? So, if we look at the USCF dressage tests, um, we know that le- horses are first asked to leg yield when they're in first level, but we don't actually get around to half passing until third. So can you explain the difference between leg yield and half pass? I think there's a lot of confusion about those. Sure. Leg yielding is the first maneuver that you do other than a turn on the forehand where you're asking the horse to step forward and sideways under his body with one of his hind legs. And it is done with slight flexion in the pole to the direction that you're moving away from. But the neck, the shoulders, the ribs, and the hips are all in a straight line. You're going to use your rein on the side you're moving the horse towards to block the shoulder. So as you move your leg back about two inches on the side you're moving from, And as you apply that, which is as the ribcage swings against that calf, indicating that hind leg is out behind, ready to push off and go airborne, you're going to apply that leg. And at the same time, you're going to turn your hand like you're turning the key in the ignition of a car to press the side of the rein on the side you're moving towards against the middle of the neck and the withers because the shoulders can go sideways a lot faster and easier than the hips can. So you have to slow them down so the hind legs can keep up. Um, and that gets the horse to move forwards and sideways. Automatically, if they go sideways with the hind leg, the next ride they go sideways with the front leg on the side you're moving from. But there's no bend in the body or the neck, just the slight flexion in the pole. And that's the introductory level. The half pass involves the horse having the same amount of bend in his ribs and his neck as he would have if his body was conforming to the arc or circumference of a 10-meter circle. So you have that position. The shoulders will be a little bit leading the hips, so the hind leg will be stepping on the inside, going to step towards the center of the chest. And the horse is going to step forwards and sideways into the bend. Now, if you did that on your own two feet, you stand up straight, you have your looking straight ahead and slightly turn your head to the direction that you're moving away from. So say you're going to move to the right, tip your head just a teensy bit, like three degrees to the left, and then you go walk forward, straight forward with your right leg and your left leg, you're going to swing it forward and across in front of your left leg or your right leg to the side that you're moving towards. That's easy to do. Then try the opposite. If you're going to move the same direction to the right, bend your rib cage so you drop your right rib down closer to your right hip bone. You're going to drop your right shoulder down slightly and then try to dance sideways to the right. It can be done, but it's harder. It takes a much greater degree of suppleness in your hips and legs. And now, Joanne, once again, that or just muddy the waters. No, I think that's great. And once again, I'm learning the key in the ignition concept is awesome because when you say use your hand like a key in the ignition, that's barely using it. And yet that little tiny bit on the rain, the horse knows what that is and the horse is going to respond yeah. to that. So once again, always learning from you. 
That's just how it rolls. And I just love that. And for those that are not as auditory, but are much more visual, Joanne is actually going to produce a video on this topic and be on that conference that we just chatted about before she came on the call today. So if you get off of this a little frustrated and say, oh, I'm just not an auditory learner. I'm much more visual. Don't worry. Just come on October 30th and she's going to give it all to you again, but with riders up on horses, so you can actually see it in action. So we're very excited about that. So let's go ahead and jump into how do I know my horse is ready to half pass? How do I have any idea? What are the steps prior to in order to know that he or she is ready to do this more advanced maneuver? And that is one of the most important questions you could ever ask, Christy, because dressage is not teaching the horse circus tricks that when you give this command, the horse obeys by doing thus and such. Instead, it is gymnastically developing the horse's body. So as the horse moves up the levels, they are stronger and more supple with greater range of motion, both for longer strides and for shorter strides and for more ability to bend the rib cage and the neck. So the reason that half-pass does not appear until third level is because in second level, they learn two exercises that are the foundation for it. Each of those exercises is designed to help the horse learn how to sit in his hocks, articulate the hock, the stifle, the fetlock, and the pastern to a greater degree so the haunches lower, the hind legs step further under, and the front end gets lighter. Okay, and the first one that is easier for horses and riders to learn is shoulders in. And when you first start teaching shoulders in, you're going to ride a 10 meter circle by the rail. And as you approach the rail again, instead of straightening and going straight down the rail, you take two more steps on the circumference of the circle to get the alignment so that the inside hind leg and the outside front leg are traveling on the same line. Your inside leg stays by the back edge of the girth. Your outside leg is going to be about two inches further back than that. Your inside leg will pulse each time the horse is pushing off with the inside hind, and you're going to rotate your wrist to push the capture the energy bubble as it comes through and rebound it off the outside rein so it keeps the shoulder in so the inside hind and the outside four are traveling in the same alignment. That gets the horse to strengthen the inside hock and carry more weight on it. Okay? When a horse is first learning this, you can manage a few strides, and then they're going to lose their balance and kind of stagger towards the middle of the ring off the rail. You just do another 10-meter circle rebalance and try a few more. Okay, so it's like teaching a child to do somersaults. You don't teach them to do a tumbling exercise where it's boom, 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 over, over, over. You get the kid to squat down, put his hands on the floor on the outside of his feet, tuck his head between his knees, and do one. And when you're in kindergarten, you're first learning this, you hope they don't fall over sideways. And gradually, as they get stronger and more coordinated, you can add to that. And it's the same with learning shoulders in. The next exercise that they learn once they're good at that, is haunches in. So once again, you're going to ride the 10-meter circle, but this time as you approach the rail, you don't go all the way. You just get the head, neck, and shoulders around the curve so they're parallel to the rail, and the haunches are still on the curve of the circle. Your outside leg is going to pulse 
as it feels the ribs swing out against it, aim that position of two inches further back and say step forward and onward, under, and your inside rein is going to bend up and in, so your hand, inside hand is going to move in the direction of your outside hip bone, but without crossing the neck. That helps block the shoulder and keep it out on the rail so the horse can't fall in. Now, the biggest flaw that people run into in trying to learn haunches in is that we humans think in order to put more power in a leg aid, we need to move our upper body over that leg. So we've got the weight of our torso to help influence the power of that leg. But the horse's instinct by reflex is wherever our weight is, that's what they want to bend around which would be the opposite bend from what you need for the haunches in. So what I tell people to do is you're going to use your inside hip bone and move it forward parallel to the rail to draw your outside leg into the horse so that keeps your weight centered over the horse's spine instead of leaning to the outside. I love that That because you're right. We want to lean people lean in horses way too much. And it's from bike riding and motorcycle riding and, you know, dirt bike riding, all these other things that we do. And yes, when you start to do that, these type of high maneuvers, they don't work at all. Exactly. And this exercise helps the horse learn how to sink down and carry more weight in the outside of the bend hock. So it's just like somebody going to the gym and doing fitness training on the weight machines you have to make sure that you develop both sides of your body equally and you have to make sure that you develop the stretching out extension muscles as much as you develop the contracting bend of the joint muscles. Otherwise, you become like one of those muscle-bound guys that can never fully straighten his arm anymore. Right. You know, it overdoes the biceps and doesn't do the triceps and then he looks like he's ready to do a bear hug or a gorilla hug all the time. That's what you would do to your horse's body if you don't exercise all of the muscles equally to develop them. But just like when you're trying to build up one part of your body, you do exercises that zero in on that part of the body. Because if you just try and exercise all your muscles in every exercise all the time, you don't really get stronger as quickly as you can if you zero in on the specific muscles needed for one specific joint or maneuver or position. Does that make sense? Very true. Yes, it does. So what then is the biggest challenge to the rider in learning to ride or train the half pass? It helps if they're on a schoolmaster who says, you've got it almost right. So I will give you as much as your body will allow me to. Because if you try to train a horse to do something you don't know how to do, your body doesn't know the feel that it's looking for. And the horse doesn't know what you're trying to do. So you both fumble around in the dark and frustrate each other. Very true. That's how I spend most of my life with my horse. (laughs) (laughs) Fumbling around in the dark. Yeah, that's exactly right. (laughs) Then third level takes those two maneuvers, which have built up the carrying power, the flexibility, the range of motion, the sitting, the ability to stretch the loins and sit the hocks underneath and lower the croup and puts them together so the half pass is started in shoulders in position, but every other step you say haunches in. So the horse goes forwards and sidewards into the bend. 
and a good exercise that can help people understand how to do that because everybody, when they're first learning how to do this, they've learned how to do leg yields. So you send them down the center line and tell them to half pass back towards the rail that they just came from. They'll start out and they'll immediately want to pull back on the outside rein, turn the flexion to the side they're moving away from, take the bend out of the ribs and turn it into a leg yield. Yes. But that doesn't get you any points and it doesn't really develop the sit and carry power that the half pass does. So an easy way to do it is if you have your dressage arena, as someone comes to the corner, you tell them to ride across the long diagonal from the corner letter on the side they're starting from to the far corner letter on the side they're aiming for. And they, you start them out on a straight line and then tell them to just do haunches in on that diagonal line. And if they can do haunches in, it becomes a fairly easy thing. If you video it and show them to them, and you've videoed it from C where the judge would sit, they're doing a half pass. Yes. And I'll tell you with video anymore on everyone's camera, what a good way to teach our students and to help each other. Then we can really see it, especially if you don't have wonderful mirrors in an indoor arena, like um, Joanne has at Houghton college. (laughs) It's very nice to be able to see yourself ride in that way. I just love that. It really helps students self-coach themselves. And it's like they're floating. And eventually we do half pass at all three gates, right, Joanne? Yes. 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 Um, When you're schooling, you do it at the walk. Um, But when you're in third level, you do it at the trot. And by the third test, you're doing it at the canter as well. So good. So, Joanne, again, thank you so much for being on. And people can find you at CHA.horse um, and also on the Houghton College website under the equestrian tab. Again, yes, the CHA member um, rate is available if you put HRN in the priority code so you can see Joanne's video of her riders performing this and start to be able to do it yourself with your horses um, in the future. So, Joanne, is there anything that you would like to leave with us today? Just the fact that working with horses and working with riders is an unending journey of joy and every ride and every rider and every horse is an opportunity to expand your own knowledge base and your ability to observe and learn more. And also, I encourage people to remember, you can always do a do-over, and you never punish a horse for responding to what your body said. You fix what your body said so you can guide the horse to correct response that you were actually looking for. I and love even that. after all these years... I still get goosebumps up my arm and sometimes up my back when somebody suddenly has that light bulb moment and they and the horse begin to dance on air. And isn't it a pleasure to watch? It is awesome. No kidding. Oh, so great. Gives you goosebumps every single time. I still cry. I'm such a nerd. I I still cry (laughs) when I see harmony on horseback happen. It's it's just awesome. So, Joanne, thank you so much for uh, being on today. And it's going to be a pleasure to have you back on on October 30th for our virtual conference. Thank you, Christy. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Very good. Well, uh, we are, you want to go right into our next guest? Yeah, we can dive right in. So this is the day of finding out all the meat that CHA does. You know, when you're an all breed, all discipline organization, Glenn, you can tap into anything and everything. And it's such a pleasure. 
So our next guest um, is not one that Horse Radio Network does not know because she has her own channel here, but it's Shauna Karish, and we're excited to have her on today because she'll also be on our virtual conference on the 30th. She's a lead positive reinforcement trainer and behaviorist at Nova Training. She is a pioneer in the use of positive reinforcement training with horses. Her behavioral training techniques are an eye-opening experience for equine professionals, competitors, and amateurs. She has produced books and videos, podcasts, and traveled worldwide to teach these concepts to both horses and riders. And after two years of consulting, Shauna recently joined the team at Nova Training, whose mission is to see the horse world embrace a priority to the positive. And she, of course, has a show on the network here called Equine Clicker 101, which is kind of different. It's uh, a unique show in that it is a training podcast where you actually go out to your horse while you're listening, and she has you do things. So uh, I, I don't know that there, of any other podcast like that in Horse World, actually. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. All right, here we go. Let's see if we can get Shona on. I know she's waiting because she just messaged me. Great. No, she's going to be here. There she is. Hi, Shauna. How, hi, how are you? How are you? Good. I am good. And uh, so good to have you on today all the way from New Mexico. <laughs> well, it is nice to be on today. Be back on. I mean, it's been a while. This used to be a regular gig. I know. Well, now so. you have your own show. You don't talk to us anymore. So that's... <laughs> We were just talking about that. She hangs out with Jennifer, yeah, and just doesn't talk to us anymore. Too good for us. It is. It's so me, too. (laughs) Yeah, such a snob. (laughs) I think it's awesome, Shauna. So let people know where exactly in New Mexico you're located so that they're aware. Okay, I am in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Beautiful. Actually, it's a little outside of Santa Fe, but it's Santa Fe County. You know, so it is, you know, the town we go to, where you go to the grocery store, it's all Santa Fe, and it is beautiful. It's really lovely here. Why is it every time I hear Santa Fe, I want tacos, and now I'm hungry? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that that is completely understandable. Is there a taco truck every corner in Santa Fe? You know, it, it, it is about that. I mean, every place you go has green hatch chilies and tacos. And, and so, I mean, it's just, and I'm from California. So California, we had a little different type of Mexican food. So now it's New Mexican which, food. Which do you so like better? Different. California tacos well, or Santa Fe tacos? Uh, well, you know, they, you know, I'm going to give one of those political, political direct <laughs> answers. <but> they, <laughs> they both have their appeal. You know, they're just different. But there is that part of me that being from California, you're really used to, I have my places there that you're like, oh, the little Roberto Roberto's taco shop that, you know, you go surfing and then you'd go get the, the Roberto's tacos or the Machaco burrito. So there's favorites that you kind of, you know, you've had your whole life that you kind which, of always miss. Which, but which then is, there's lots of new stuff. Which is spicier? Is it California spicier or do they go spicier in, in New Mexico? Well, you know, that's, they both go spicy because I think everything here has the green hatch chilies, which can be spicy. It's a certain flavor to it too. So it's a little different than the fresh jalapenos that I'm used to in California. So it's a different sort of flavor, but I like the hotter stuff because I grew up on it, you know, so you kind of get 
Like, yeah, that's not hot anymore. You you get a little tough with it. Yeah, your taste buds wear out is what happens. I get burned to death. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. We always get talking about food when I talk to Sean. Well, it's always lunchtime almost for you, right? I know. It is. I'm getting hungry. I want tacos. We have to go out for tacos today. your show. (laughs) Matter of fact, I have to go. (laughs) That's right. I'm hungry. Good night, chatting. <laughs> well, Shana, we're so excited to be able to have you come on on our um, virtual conference on October 30th. This is a little teaser for people about kind of all the information mm-hmm. you're going to share that day. So how about if we just jump right in? I don't know if everyone understands necessarily what positive reinforcement does. So how does it make okay. the horse happier and gain confidence? Well, I think that is, I mean, and it it, it seems a little ethereal in a way, because what people tend to think is I'm going to use the positive reinforcement to get X done. You know what I mean? Like there, I need to get my horse in the trailer. I need to get a better lead change. I need to get, you know, whatever their thing might be that is their, their, their challenge, you know, the thing they struggle with. And I'm going to be honest, it is often the gateway, <laughs> it's the gateway drug to get you into positive reinforcement. Because you get started with it, and you think, oh, that was great. That really solved that problem. I changed the motivation. But the biggest part, the most important part to me is, and the most significant part, and I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people that really use positive reinforcement that don't even really recognize this, is it actually can change what's going on in the brain. You can change emotional associations. You can change the brain brain chemistry even related to different tasks and and things. So it really starts to have endorphins and dopamines coursing through their system. And you have, because what we found out through neurobiology is that with traditional training, with pressure release, it actually uses a different part of the brain than when we're using positive reinforcement. So what you get is different hormones being produced, which results in different emotions. So with a traditional training, you tend to use the part of the brain that's responsible for fight or flight. With positive reinforcement, you're using a part of the brain that's remained referred to as a seeking system. Now, this has all been validated now by neurobiologists and neuroscientists who are really busy studying this. So now what used to be a soft science is now a hard science. But as we understand that, and, and anecdotally, I've seen this for decades now, is I see that the horses change and they start to be happier. They start to be more involved in the training. They start to be enjoying the problem solving and the puzzle, you know, that they're puzzle solving. And they start to do things like an anxious horse will start to be more curious and be less anxious. And they'll start to play with things in their world. And they, or they're more settled in their social settings versus being the, the bully, you know, out there. So it really kind of shows up all over the place. And the very first time I did it, you know, with, with working with John and BZ Madden back, you know, nearly 27 years ago now, they, uh, the very first week I worked with them, it was the first time I took the positive reinforcement training from remount to horses. And what, after a week of working with the horses, I just did basic clicking, teaching them what the bridge signal was. And then that's three, five minute sessions a day. Then I did three, five minute sessions a day with a target. So this is a total of 15 minutes a day for six days. At the end of the week, BZ said, every single horse you're working with is remarkably better in the arena. But yet the training had not overlapped. So this was the first point I went, huh, 
well, that's weird, but yay. You know, so we are starting to see that, see that already showing up, that their emotional responses to traditional training were just better and, and more engaged. So it's kind of a long answer, but it's kind of a more involved question than, than so black and white. I agree. And I'll tell you what's so good about positive reinforcement training is that it's getting a little bit more um, all the time because of you and others more known. And also it's all the science now behind it, like that seeking um, part that you brought up. There's a lot of other people like Dr. Temple Grandin and others that bring up that seeking that a horse has and how to kind of utilize that to our best advantage. So I just love that you, that there's more science happening out there and more research for those that really enjoy that side of things of knowing, well, why does this work and how is the science and what goes on? And so I love that you, you brought that up. Yeah, and I think it's important. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. So, Shauna, what are some common misconceptions about positive reinforcement and clicker training as a whole? Well, I think one is that it is not based in science. So there's a real belief that is, you know, that it's a little fluffernuttery. You know, that we're just a bunch of kind of soft mushy people who just want to feed their horse cookies. And that, <laughs> that is not it at all. But, you know, no. you've heard that. But it's, it's a very systematic approach. That's how I do it. it. That, that'd be my version <laughs> of it. Yeah, that's, I'm talking about me, Shauna. So you'd be feeding them tacos. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that the, um, it is such a, that that's how we think about it. But it is a very systematic approach that started first with the marine mammals. So that's, of course, where I really put it into practice and then did that for 10 years. And before I started taking it to the horses, when nobody knew what I was even talking about. But I think that it is really science. This is already going on. These principles that are behind this, this learning are already going on, whether we, we know it or not. So I think that understanding more about what's going on in our horse's head and how their brain works only gives us an advantage regardless of which way we want to go or which tool we want to use. We, we have, we're just going to be better because of the understanding we get. And then there's always, of course, the people who say you can't hand feed a horse. Hand feeding a horse makes them mouthy, bitey. And, and the hand feeding isn't the problem. It's the behavior that we've actually delivered the food on. So we unintentionally, people constantly are reinforcing the horse reaching for them or grabbing for the treat or are coming into their space. And so that they're reinforcing it. They're telling the horse, yes, this worked for you. Why don't you do it again? So it's, it's a very, the very first thing we work on is let's learn to keep our head to ourselves. Let's give us our space and that you have to learn to slow down and wait to figure out what you need to do and earn in order to earn the reward. So I think that's a really kind of common misconception that goes along with it. But I've, I've actually dealt with and cured, as it were, not you can never really cure anything like that, but, but you, I've stopped the behavior of biting and working with truly aggressive horses who want to kill people. And I've used hand feeding to change their emotional state and to get them where they're choosing, making better choices and thinking, oh, I love this. I'm glad the human's here. So I think that Those are probably the most common ones I think of. I would agree. And I'm glad that you brought those both up because then people can kind of understand kind of where where this comes from. So what is the difference between using positive reinforcement methods and combining positive with negative reinforcement? How does that work? Okay. Well, that's a... um that's a slippery slope, really, because it's what I call it. I call it 
negative reinforcement or traditional training with a cherry on top because it is using, you're using the fight or flight part of the brain. You know, you're activating that part. You're producing cortisol. You're doing just by the very nature of, of how pressure release works in a horse, it lights up that part of the brain. You know, we just know that now. So, so as you do that, you are kind of tapping into a different part of the brain and then we're adding the food on top. Well, that can actually be for some, for a fair share of horses, some horses deal with it okay. Some horses keep it under wraps and you don't really realize how they're, they're truly coping with it. And then some horses, it just, it, it shoots them the other way. So I, I liken it to, because it's inconsistent, they're going, am I involved in this? Is there something in it for me or is there not? You know, so you have them kind of back and forth, not knowing, you know, who's showing up today. You know, it's like in, you know, the Wizard of Oz, is it the good witch or the bad witch? You know, they don't <laughs> know which one is going to be there today. Are they going to get corrected for something they've done or are they going to get something for something they've done? So there's been a lot of studies that have really shown that combining the two is not a good way to go at all. But there's also, and, and it's very risky and it's not in the best interest of your horse's welfare, but there's also something different besides combining the two, and that is like working with a crossover horse. So a horse who has learned one way, because let's face it, that's what most of them are. They've learned one way, but we want to now introduce positive reinforcement and move forward using more positive reinforcement. So that is different to me than combining. Combining, I'm thinking about the training process we're using. So with when we're crossing over, the past training process is the past training process. There's no, you know, that's just what it is. And where, how I make a judgment, I think, okay, I watch a horse carefully who comes to me and I think what, okay, where do you have issues? You know, if you're great with your halter going on, no big deal. I'm not going to go back and, and retrain that. You already know it and you don't seem to have any apparent, uh, you know, you're not showing your, your, your nose doesn't get tense. Your lips don't get purse, you know, or whatever those pieces are that I look for that tell me underneath it all, how are you feeling? And I just move forward. I will start reinforcing it randomly so that I'm building a new improved reinforcement history with the task. So they think I love my halter as opposed to I tolerate my halter. But so that is quite, and so then I move forward with that. Sometimes a lot of things are really good, but I'll notice that you know, mounting is a problem. Okay. So now I have to kind of pull this piece apart and figure out where and what, and maybe I'm going to reshape that piece and maybe start over with that piece. It typically goes much quicker because they know what it is, but I'm ensuring that I'm building the, the right reinforcement history. And then moving forward, if I'm going to choose a behavior, like let's say I'm saying trailer loading, I'm going to think, okay, I, I'm not going to mix pressure release and positive reinforcement. I don't find that to be a good way to go, but I will choose which one I'm going to do and stick with it through that particular task. So, you know, so I would think, you know, for me, of course, I go positive reinforcement, but I give them choices and I, I would, I would work through that in that nature. So I wouldn't combine them in the training process of training something new. I'd really focus on, on which piece I want to do. And I think once people start using the positive reinforcement they start seeing the changes in their relationship and the horse. So they tend to choose it more and more, but it's, it's really, you know, it's it really wanting to meet people where they are, to be honest. That makes sense. Very much so. 
And I know when I read your bio, Shauna, I mentioned the priority to positive. So could you explain more about what the approach of this is? Yes, I'm working with um, Vianova training now. And, and it is, um, I've been here for a couple years and working with, you know, the folks here. And so trying to help everybody to understand more about positive reinforcement and how it works. And there was developed a something called prior, priority to positive, which really focuses on teaching people to be better equipped to learn more about positive reinforcement. So it's really, you know, when I've spent so much time in a practical application directly to the horses, directly to the horses, but there's a lot of people who this comes quite naturally for me. So it kind of, it's been brought to light that a lot of people struggle with the different parts. So it's the fundamentals to try to help get that instilled in the people to get the fundamentals instilled so that they can be better and more better equipped to move into the more practical side of it. If that makes sense. So it's not completely separate, but it is pulling it apart a little more than I have done in my years. I've always been rather, let's get you right in there and do it, you know, and this is a more, you know, kind of curriculum based approach to how can we get people to get more adapted. So it is, so the, the five we have is understand motivation. So it's helping people to understand what, what even motivates your horse. Why, why would, how do we choose what to do and how, what does it mean when they do certain things? One is know what you want. That means really focusing on the behavior you want to see more of. Instead of saying, I don't want to see bucking, don't buck. We think, okay, what do I want to see? I want to see a calm, relaxed horse who, you know, whatever the task might be. Um, know your tools is understanding the things you can use. For example, the clicker, which is actually called the bridge signal, and, and why that communication tool is so important. Important. And then, like, maybe the target. The target would be a way we create behavior. <laughs> More on that later. But those would be, you know, so understanding your tools, the things that are available to you, how the cues work, how do I set them into place. Understand shaping. So shaping is the process that we use to create behavior. It is a building block, the successive approximation, being the technical term, that pile up to build the behavior. So it's really taking little teeny tiny steps in moving in that direction. So instead of saying, okay, I want my horse to lift his foot, thinking, okay, well, first thing I might need him to do is to rock his weight off that foot just a little. And then maybe I want a little bit stronger and then I want a little bend at the knee and then so breaking it down to the tinier pieces which gives more clarity for the horses so understanding how to shape and create behavior and then setting them up for success what you can do to help the horse be most apt for success so you know if you have a horse and you try and teach him clipping I wouldn't do it in the morning when you normally turn him out and all of his friends just went out I would turn him out and then do it later when he's going to be more relaxed and more tired. That would be an example. So that's kind of in a nutshell what the priority to positive principles are. So to do priority to positive, do I have to come to New Mexico or is it something I can do online? How does all that work? <laughs> um, well, at this point in time, I'm, I'm doing a fair share of, you know, webinars and things because this is the time. This is the not, time, yes. Really Yes, it is. And you just kind of all have to adapt. And frankly, I, we haven't really talked about wanting to have an online presence normally. This may change things because we're forced to kind of figure it out a little bit more. So it may change things down the road. But 
but really it is more about getting people to come here and do workshops and learn from hands-on experience. But, you know, I, I, I have always loved doing clinics, going out and doing clinics where is a great way to reach people. You know, I'm not sure exactly what Amanda, who is the owner here, has in the works. She kind of isn't always interested in the outreach as much right yet, you know, but that may change and, and, and hopefully it will. But so for now, it would be, it would have to be online, you know, and signing up for the, at the website, the vianovatraining.com will give you, will send some things out that'll give you some things to read and, and, and be up on some of the principles a little bit more. And let's so, not forget you know, about 40 episodes <gasps> of your show. Yes. Correct. 40 plus <laughs> episodes of my show. because And it has been, I'm going to tell you guys, and it was, it's only with great help from, from Glenn and Jennifer that I have had the show go in the direction it did. And, and I get, I get emails and letters from people all the time saying how much, they appreciate it and how much it's helped them. So that is okay. that is quite exciting. So yes, I'm not the best salesman, I'm going to say. So I forget like, oh yeah, that's right. I have a whole series of podcasts on all sorts of subjects. <laughs> on all of those so, topics. Yeah, so thank you, Flynn. <laughs> You're welcome. Yes, I do. It only took me about <laughs> 10 years to talk her into that too. Uh <laughs> it's true, huh? I had to promise her tacos, and then we did it. And it was good. That's right. See, it all comes back to tacos. <laughs> That's right. It all comes That's back right. to tacos. <laughs> so, Shauna, let's kind of end with this for people. What is the best way for someone to get started understanding how to use positive reinforcement? You know, I think, honestly, I would say that the podcast is really the best resource right now. It's great if you can get hands-on experience, but, but the times being what they are, it is, it is a challenge. You know, it's not, it, it, it's not, I can't be out there right by your side or you can't be here, you know, with us and learning how to do it with our horses. You, so I'd say the podcast has really been something that people have found quite helpful. I do a lot of Ask Shauna answers, which have also been, I've done those for about 10 years, and those have been quite helpful for people. It really helps them, I think, one, to it addresses their problems with, um, with kind of an understanding of how this kind of training works, and it is, it's been very successful for people to kind of delve into it a little bit more. And then, you know, we do have online engagements and things coming up, like with a certified horsemanship association online thing. So we have lots of things like that, but I'd say the podcast is probably where I'm, I'm going to would send you right now. Well, and what we're so excited to have you on on the 30th is because I know you're going to produce a video ahead of time and then you're going to be on live yeah. to do some Q and a stuff. So that's yeah. why if you can be on live on the 30th, it's great though. The recording's still fine. Then you'll get to see Shauna's interaction, you know, with others, but that video portion is going to be so key. And I'm so glad that you're willing to do some of that ahead of time and then upload yeah. it so that we can show it on that day. That's going to be awesome. And I'm going to tell you, it's like we're going to be working on impulse control and some, uh, you know, biomechanics utilizing something called a reverse round pen. But one of our little guests in there is going to be my yearling named Henley. She's an Oldenburg yearling and really lovely. And 
but she's yearly. You know what that means? You know, they're just it's gonna be exciting. Impulse control. It can, it can be exciting, and so it's. But it's also it, it presents challenges. You know, always you you end up with these challenges. You're like, this will go smooth as silk, and you're like, okay, or not. But but I leave that in because I think it's really important, and there's the most learning that comes from that. And Henley inevitably <clears throat> brings up challenges because she's a yearling, and she's like, I get it, I get it, I'm good. I don't feel like it. You know, and then you have to go, okay, what do I do with you wanting to do what you want to do? How do I help you to get back to wanting to choosing to work with us? So, so that's, I'm always excited about sharing her with you guys. Oh, we can't wait. It's called being flexible, right? That's something that horse people are pretty good at is being flexible. All right. Well, this didn't quite go as planned today. So we're going to do this instead. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if you, do, if you can't, <clears throat> excuse me, be flexible, well, you need another you need another job or another interest, another hobby. I would agree. (laughs) I would agree. So Shauna, I know you mentioned the Via Nova website. Is that the best way to find you or are there others as well? Um, Well, if you search for, if you look for Shauna Karish, you're going to find shaunacarish.com, which is just kind of my portion of the Via Nova website. So if you want products like clickers or side buckets or targets or whatever, or if you want, um, you want to find the podcast outside of Horse Radio Network, you can find them there or some of the Ask Shaunas, but it's really kind of dovetail into the Via Nova training website. So if you just search Shauna Karish, you're going to find shaunacarish.com. You're going to find vianovatraining.com, and you can go to, to either to find either, if that makes sense. So if you click on Via Nova, you're going to find out more about what we're doing at Via Nova. But it'll also link up to mine if you want to get over to a particular piece that maybe is there. So just Google Shauna Karish. Easy. (laughs) Either way, it'll come up. Well, Shauna, thank you so much for being on today. And I'm so excited to meet your yearling virtually. And one day when all of the kind of stuff goes away and we're allowed to do a little bit more travel, I cannot wait to come back to Santa Fe. I love Santa Fe, but I've never been to Via Nova. So I'm going to come and say hello in person. I would love that because our friendship goes way back, but I would love for you to come and spend some time and see what we're doing. Plus, I just get to spend time with you and we can go out to dinner and stuff, which is And have tacos. (laughs) (laughs) And have tacos. Exactly. Let's get right back to it. That's right. And Glenn, you must come too. Yes, definitely. Now I'm hungry. I got to go get lunch though. So That's right. (laughs) Thank you, Shauna, for being on the show today. Thanks, Shauna. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Bye, you guys. Well, now, remind everybody, again, if they if they want to attend this once-in-a-lifetime event uh, where they can actually go to your conference without going to your conference. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, can, go ahead and tell everybody about how to do that again. Absolutely. You go to cha.horse. And once you get there, you click on the International Conference tab at the top. It'll take you to the page to see all the bios and all the sessions of all the speakers. And then there's a Register tab. Click on Register button. And when it asks you for a priority code, go ahead and put in capital HRN for Horse Radio Network to get your discount, which is actually the CHA member rate. So it's the deepest discount we offer. So we're very excited to welcome everyone to that event in that way this year. 
Sounds good. Well, thank you, Christy. Another terrific show. Of course, you can hear all of Christy's past episodes. You just go to horsesinthemorning.com and click on the CHA banner in the middle of the page there at the homepage, and it brings you all the past episodes, and there are a lot of them, like for eight years worth. So uh, if you want to learn about any anything uh, when it comes to... Uh, when it comes to instruction or anything like that, you're probably going to find that we've done that as a topic. And the search works really well on horses in the morning, too. So if you put in half pass, you know, our leg yield or whatever, uh, anytime we've talked about any of those topics, it'll come up and you can go back and listen to those past episodes. Wonderful. All right. Thanks, Christy. Appreciate it. Thanks, Glenn. All Bye, right. everyone. Jamie and I will be back tomorrow. We'll see you then. <laughs>